listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Let's try that again. That's one, one good response. Good morning. good morning. All right. If you have a Bible, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Am I a little hot? I feel like I'm giving feedback, not physically. I mean, thanks. Is here my wife? That's it, right there, speaking on marriage today, and uh, so it's good to get a little affirmation from my own wife. Um, All right, good. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be as we continue our series, Family Matters. I am one of the pastors here at Fellowship. My name is Jared, and if this is your first time with us, let me welcome you. Um, I know we have some space issues, and and we're kind of crowded, and that's a good problem to have, but I can assure you uh, we are getting closer to uh, getting a facility, and we'll release all that information as it comes out. And so uh, thank you for being flexible and and, uh, being uh, okay with sitting around other humans so close. And so um, if you want more information about our church, we're still pretty new. And so um, if you feel like you're out of place, like we all are still like learning and and growing together and, and trying to figure out what this looks like. And so you can get more information about our church by grabbing a connect card over here or at our information table when you leave. You can also grab a sheet that'll have all sorts of information about ways you can get connected. And, and I personally would love to, to take you out for a lunch or a breakfast, whatever works for you. If you want more information and you want to connect in that way, but if you prefer just to get a text or an email or whatever, just give us your information on the connect card, uh, fill it out, come bring it to me, and I'll be sure that we try to connect with you uh, on your terms and not mine. And then also, another way that you can get connected, just learn more about what's going on within our church, is to get on Facebook. Seems like everybody just about has Facebook except for Randy. And so you can go to uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash fellowship paragold and you will find us on there. And that's a way you can kind of stay connected and get to know other people as well. Okay, so again, good to see uh, each of you. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have some on the welcome table. You can grab those on your way out. That's a, that's a free gift uh, to you. But if you don't have anything, a Bible on your device or with you, we'll put it on on the screen for you. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 22. And uh, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes the following. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore... A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I'm going to ask that you pray with me one more time. You pray for me as I pray for you, if you will. Father, I thank you so much for each man, woman, and child who is here today. I do not believe that any of us are here by accident. We are here by your design, and I do pray that you will... Take this text and you will do what only you can do. I know that apart from your spirit working, it doesn't matter how I try to communicate this. It doesn't matter what our band plays or doesn't play. It doesn't matter how the lighting is or the seats are. If your spirit's not moving, this is just going to be me talking and there's going to be no changed lives. And nobody got up early this morning and did not 
uh, be changed. And so we, we need to meet you. We need to experience more of you. You are the good news that every single person in here needs. And so I pray that through this message that you will use it to transform our marriages, to transform our hearts, transform our lives for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, every Sunday night, uh, the missional community that I'm a part of goes out to Labor Park to build relationships with families at the park out there. And so we cook hot dogs and give away food each, each Sunday night. And, and uh, another way that we try to connect is, is we play basketball with those that come and play basketball. And um, last week, I decided I'm going to take my game up to a whole other level. And so... Uh, what I did is I decided I'm not going to play basketball on my flip-flops for once. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some tennis shoes on. And so I, I laced up the tennis shoes. I put on some shorts and my Larry Bird socks, uh, which laugh if you want, but I have received several compliments on from people out at the park. And so um, we went out to the park, me and my wife, the kids, met our missional community. They went to the pavilion, dropped off the food, and I went over um, to the courts and, and waited to get in a game. And eventually... I get put on a team with uh, Cody Holland and Russell Jeddon, wherever you are, holler at your boy, or not, okay, <laughs> all right, that's cool, thanks guys, and so uh, also uh, with, with those two, and, and, and Russell was actually a state champ um, in high school for Green County Tech, and, and, Ru- and uh, Cody played some college, well I think Russell did too, and then I'm also with two other guys, Jay and Tay, uh, that are some really good players, and so I'm feeling pretty confident about our chances we're going to win this thing, but we, we get together and we huddle before the game, because Jay, uh, one of the guys on our team, thinks that we need to get a game plan together, and so we huddle up, and Jay's like, all right guys, all right, he goes, come on over here, he goes, all right, now here's the deal, y'all know I'm a point guard, right, and he's like, I got skills, and like, I bring the ball down the court, no one's going to take the ball from me, he's like, I'm amazing, and he's like, so I'm going to do my thing. He's like, Cody, you're a tall dude. He's like, man, I like your moves down low, Cody. He's like, man, you're a post player, so you're going to be down low. And when I thought to you, you just do your thing. And then he's like, Russell, Tay, he's like, man, you guys, y'all can shoot the rock, man. He goes, I've seen you post stuff. He says, so if I don't drive in and do my thing, I don't dish it down to Cody, I'm going to hit you guys on the wing. And he says, you guys just make it rain threes, all right? And he's like, and uh, Jay Pick, that's what he calls me. He's like, uh, you just play good defense, <laughs> all right? <clears throat> and... Uh, and he said, and here's the deal, man, if we pass you the ball, here's what I want you to do. You just pass it back, all right? And I'm like, all right. I'll embrace, you know, and you might be offended by that if that was you, but like I know God created me to be a pastor, not a basketball player, so I'm cool with embracing that role that he gives me. And so we go out and, and we do our thing, man. Like we all play the position that we were asked to play by our point guard slash coach, Jay, and, uh, and, and it worked out well. We dominated the first team. And then what was really amazing is we got to play Tim Parrott's team because they had won their first game. And if you know anything about Tim Parrott, who leads worship for us on Sundays, like this guy wins at life. Like he literally, <clears throat> it doesn't matter like what it is, he's good at everything and it makes me absolutely sick. Like he's the kind of guy who doesn't even try, he's just good at it. Like I don't even know if he ever played a guitar up until like the first Sunday that he showed up here. And he's a great guitar player. He, is, uh, he literally scored in the top 10% in the world in critical thinking. So he's like Yoda, like true story. He's basically like up there with Bill Gates and guys like that. He's a phenomenal bag player. He's a phenomenal wiffle ball player. I mean, he literally carried his MC in the MC Olympics. No offense. We all know it's true, right? And so, uh, and he's a great basketball player. He played in high school on a team that was like beating nationally ranked high school teams all over the country back whenever he was living in Louisiana. And so we're facing off against Tim's team and he always dominates, but not... On Sunday night, not this night he didn't, because again, we all went in there, we had a game plan, we got into our positions, and we dominated Tim's team, and it felt so good, right? It felt awesome. And um, here's why I share that, all right? In order for us to win, 
we needed to know what our role was on the team. We needed to be able to play that position that we were given so that we could be successful. And the reason it's important for you to know is because when it comes to marriage, which is what we're talking about today, what you need to understand is God knows how he wired you. He knows how you work because he created you. And what he does in marriage is he gives every single one of us specific roles to play so that we can experience right, a magnificent marriage that is ultimately for our good and his glory. And so my hope this morning is that I can sit in this team huddle and I can say, okay, men, this is the role that God has called you to play in your marriage. Women, this is the role that God has played, called you to play in your marriage, right? Ultimately, again, like I said, for our good and God's glory. But before we dive into that, we need to remember what Rusty said last week. For those of you that weren't here, what we talked about last week to kind of build a foundation for this morning is despite what culture says, marriage is not the product of human social evolution. In other words, what I mean is marriage came down to us from God. Right? Marriage is actually not man's idea, it's God's idea. And what we discovered last week is it's not just given to us for procreation purposes and not just given to us so that we won't be lonely the rest of our lives, but rather the reason God created marriage and he gave it to us is so we can show a picture to the world of the greatest romance of all time where God became flesh. And then he came and he gave his very life for you and for me, for a broken humanity so that we can be rescued, redeemed, and restored. This is what marriage is about, and we have to get this today because, listen, if we don't, we will never have a happy marriage. And we will never have a healthy marriage as it is intended to be. Before we can talk about roles this morning, what we need to remember is that marriage, listen to me carefully, is not primarily about your gratification It's about God's glory. And when you begin to embrace that, you will be gratified. You will have a healthy and happy marriage. Marriage is not primarily about you trying to find the perfect human to complete you. No, there's been one perfect human who ever lived on this earth, and it's Jesus Christ. And your marriage is meant to point people to this reality that he is the only one who can completely fulfill you and satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. That's what marriage is about. It's about pointing to this reality. And one way you can think about it is like this. On September 18th, there's a new movie coming out called uh, Black Mass. Has anybody heard of it? Hey, several of you. And uh, if you haven't heard of it, it's okay. Black Mass is starring Johnny Depp. And it's basically about a true story. It's about a man named Whitey Bulger who was a Boston gangster turned FBI informant in the 1970s. And when I watched the very first trailer release for Black Mass, I'll be honest, my first thought is like, man, I've got to see that movie. Right? Like, it's, it's going to be amazing. Now, listen to me before I say anything else, because I already feel like some of you are judging me. Like, hey, is that a Christian movie? Right? Like, no, it's not War Room. It's not Passion of Christ. It's not Facing the Giants. I'm not telling you, like, it's, it's a wholesome movie. I'm not telling you to go pack up your kids in a van and go watch the movie, okay? I'm just telling you. When I saw the trailer, my thought was, this looks like an incredible movie. And so the first thing I did is I tell my wife about it. I show her the trailer. I showed my friends the trailer. I showed my workout partner the trailer. I showed my neighbor the trailer. Like, I was like, we have got to go experience this entire movie because the trailer, to me, was so incredible. Now, here's why I share that. Our marriages are meant to do the same thing. What Paul is saying right here is literally our marriages are meant to be like movie trailers that intrigue people and make them want to experience fully the ultimate love story that is starring Jesus Christ. 
Right? That's what Paul is saying right here in, in Ephesians 5. So the question then is what role do we play in this story? That should be the question we're all asking, right? As Christians, like, as a husband, what is my role? And as a wife, right, what is my role in this story, in this grand romance called marriage, right? What is it? And fortunately, Paul answers the question for us, and he starts with wives. Let's look together. It's always a good thing, right? Whenever a guy stands up and tells wives this is the way they're to live, huh? What could possibly go wrong? Hmm? Verse 22. And actually, it's not me saying it. It's the Bible, right? I'm just sharing what God's Word says. So, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So, ladies, just breathe for a second, all right? Um, I know this is not an American idea, but what you have to understand is submission really is God's idea. Um, and God himself is not afraid of submission. In fact, we see in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that God submits. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equal because they're all God. There's not one greater than the other, right? They're one God in three persons, and they're all equal. But we always see throughout the entire story in the Bible that Jesus Christ, God the Son, always submits to God the Father. And so submission is something that God has done since eternity past. Submission is not man's idea. It is God's idea. And that's important for you to hear. And the only reason that we don't like this idea of submission is because it has been distorted and abused throughout time. So let me just explain real quick, ladies, what submission is not. Submitting to your husband is not when you get married, you leave your brain at the altar, and from there on out, you say, I'm going to do each and every single thing that my husband asks of me, no matter what it is, right? No questions asked. That is not what it means to submit. Submission is not your husband walking into a room and saying, all right, listen up, woman. Here's what we're going to do. And you just be like, okay, whatever comes next, like, I'm going to do it. Like, that's not submission. That's foolish. Okay? And God is not asking you to do that. Submission is not mindless obedience. But rather, this is what submission is. Submitting to your husband, listen, is this mentality that says, as a wife, I am ready to receive Christ-like leadership for my husband. And I actually delight in following my husband as he is following Jesus. That's what submission means. And here's a practical example of what that may look like. Husband. Babe, I've got a great idea. We should plan a church. Now, I know that you're pregnant with our first kid. I know we have no idea where the money would come from or where we will live. And we have no guarantee that this will work whatsoever. But wouldn't that be fun? Megan. All right. Uh, Jared, uh, that's very interesting, okay? I think that's, that's really cool, and, and, but I do have a few concerns. There are a lot of churches already in Paragold, and the church you're describing sounds quite a bit different, and so I'm just not sure how all that's going to work. But here's the deal. If we can just pray about that, that would be great, and ultimately I want you to know this. If you really feel God calling us to plant a church, I trust you, and I will follow you in planting a church. And no matter what happens, I'm still going to be standing by you at the end. Okay, that 
Thank you, BJ. <laughs> the guy that was in prison two years ago is the only guy saying, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Jesus does an amazing work, doesn't he? And the, yeah, he's got such a soft, tender heart. Um, that's a picture of biblical submission. That is not me walking into my house saying, all right, we're planting a church. Get ready. Right? That is not her mindlessly accepting whatever comes her way, right? She gently receives that and even expresses her concerns. But ultimately, what does she say? I'm willing to follow your leadership because I trust that ultimately you are following Jesus. And so wherever you think our family needs to go, that's where I'm going to go. Whether that's Africa or Paragon, she said this before, whether that's going to an existing church or planting a church, being in a big church or a small church, like, I'm willing to go with you wherever you go. Now listen, single ladies, I know there are several of you in here, listen. If you can't trust a man on that level, don't marry him. Don't marry him. There are a lot of grown men in our culture who are acting like little kids. And the reason they act that way is because, ladies, you let them get by with it. You need to raise the bar. And you need to realize this idea that you're going to marry him and then set him straight... That doesn't happen most of the time. I'm going to marry and I'm going to change him over time. Probably not. Probably not. And so what I would encourage you to do, if you're in here and you're single, in just a minute we're going to talk about what it means to be a man of God, pay attention during that portion and say, I'm not going to settle for anything less than that. No matter what pressure I get from my parents or from society, ladies, listen, I promise you, you would rather stay single than marry a boy who shaves. Because... You've already got to take care of your own kids when they come. You don't want to have to take care of another kid who's supposed to be your husband. Right? But yet we have a lot of this going on in our culture. Now, some of you are married and you're thinking, well, what about me? <laughs> I mean, great for the person that's single. Yeah, ladies, listen up, you know. But what about me? I mean, when I was dating my husband, he was awesome, but now he's an idiot. Right? And by the way, women, don't be elbowing right now, okay? Um... I would say, first off, I doubt that your husband was awesome whenever y'all were, like, dating. He was some sort of knight in shiny armor, but now he's just stuck on stupid. I doubt that's the reality. He was probably already somewhat there. You just didn't ask anybody to give any input whatsoever, right? And, and you just had those rosy glasses on, so you probably didn't see some of that stuff. But, but w- let's say he was whatever, okay? Let's say right now, no matter what happened when you were dating, he's not a man who is spiritually and emotionally mature. He's still kind of stuck in immaturity. He hasn't really grown up and become the man God's called him to be. What in the world do you do? What do you do? Well, first off, let me say this. Your man did not marry you because he wants a competitor. He married you because he wants a lover. He married you because he wants a relationship that is deeper and more intimate than any other relationship he can possibly experience. I promise you, no man marries a woman hoping that she just tries to set him straight the rest of his life. I, that is not why your husband got into marriage. So if you find yourself with a man refusing to grow up, let me encourage you to do two things. One is more than you ever think about nagging him, you should be praying for him. I wonder how marriages would be different if you spent more time praying for your husband than nagging him and telling him how he needs to be better. I'm not saying you can't offer your husband advice, ladies. I'm not saying you can't, like I said earlier with my, my wife, express times that maybe you disagree with things. You can't share an opinion. You can't encourage them. 
not saying you can't do that, but listen, ultimately the Holy Spirit's the one that's going to change your husband, not you. And you have to begin to trust God with your husband's heart. And rather than you trying to play the Holy Spirit, you need to pray that the Holy Spirit will grab a hold of him and make him into the man that he was created to be. The second thing I would encourage you to do is this, and I know this is going to be hard, ladies, but listen, you need to continue, unless he tries to lead you into sin or unless he's about to burn the house down, you need to continue to gently and humbly walk in submission to your husband. Again, I'm not saying if he's terrible at finances, you have to let him do the finances. You shouldn't, right? If he's terrible at finances, he shouldn't be handling the finances. If he's somehow going to do something that's going to hurt you or the kids, I'm not saying you just like be a little uh, you know, stepping mat and just let them step all over you and the kids. I'm not saying that. But if you really want your man to be the man God's created him to be, you know what the Bible says? Specifically in places like 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. You can write that down and check it out later if you want to. It says that submission is the thing that will win your husband over to the Lord. Submission. Trusting him and following his leadership. And for some of you ladies, you say, well, well what is it about submission that actually warms my husband's heart and, and wins him over? Listen, ladies, very carefully, trying to, to help you with this. Maybe some of you ladies have never heard this before, but I'm telling you, whether your man acts tough or not, you want to know what's going on inside of your man even today? Here's what's going on in the side of every man. Here's the question every man is asking. Am I man enough? Am I really going to meet the challenge? Am I really going to fulfill the mission that I've been given, or am I going to fail? That's the question every single man is asking. And it's a really scary question. It is. And a wise wife is one who understands this, and then she gives her life to living and speaking in such a way where she says to her husband, I totally believe in you. Even if nobody else does, I believe in you. Ladies, you have no idea how strong those words are to your husband. You have no idea what you can do. Like, if somebody sends me a hateful email today from the church about something they think I'm not a good pastor or whatever else, I'm going to take that to our elders and I'm going to see if there's any truth behind it. It's going to upset me a little bit, but I'm probably not going to lose any sleep over it. If I think my wife has any sort of negative thoughts towards me whatsoever or that she doesn't trust me, like it jacks up my entire day and it keeps me awake at night. And the reason that is is because, listen, ladies, God gives you to your husband to help you build him up. That is a huge task. What a responsibility. He gives you to your husband to help him, to basically help him navigate through life believing I can be the man that God created me to be. That's what you're called to do. What a job, right? What a, what a task. And, and I think this is why Paul even ends right here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. I mean, think about it. This is how he ends the whole section. He says, wives, see that you respect your husbands. What he's saying here is rather than putting your husband down, rather than laughing at him and doing things that make him feel like less of a man, honor your husbands. Respect him. And there's three ways that you can do this. You can respect a man with your head, you can respect him with your heart, and you can respect him with your hands. So well, how do you do those things? You respect your husband with your head by thinking well about him. Rather than choosing to think about on Monday how he didn't take out the trash, focus on the fact he did on Thursday. And think, man, I'm glad that I've got a husband that was willing to do it one of the two days. You can do that. That's a way you can respect him. 
You can respect a man with your heart. Jesus says from out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The way you respect a man with your heart is by how you talk about him. How you talk about him to your mom. How you talk about him to your friends. And how you talk to him. Rather than nagging, right, you find things to praise him for. So, man, I'm so thankful that, that, that I see this in your life. Find things. And if you're like, well, I can't find anything, then you should go read first, uh, or Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, that says that we actually get to choose what we think about. And we're to think about things that are honorable, the Bible says. Think about things that are honorable in your husband. And then you can also respect him with your hands, right? And this is, sex is probably a part of this, but it's not like the ultimate necessarily. There's other ways. You need to find out, like, what would serve my husband? What would make him know that I absolutely respect him as my husband? And then physically do those things, right? And I know maybe some of you ladies are sitting here and you're like, Jared, 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 you just don't get my husband. I mean, you don't, you don't understand, Jared. I try and I try and I try and I feel so unappreciated. I give and I give and I give and I feel like I get so little back from him. Okay? Well, you would do well to remember in verse 22. Again, Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to who? As to who? To the Lord. In other words, listen, ladies, your submission to your husband is not ultimately to your husband, it's to Jesus. So what that means is if you're submitting to your husband and you're respecting him with your head and your heart and your hands, even, listen, ladies, even if your husband does not see how blessed he is, and man, he is blessed to have a wife like you, but even if he doesn't see it, guess who sees it? God does. And even if he doesn't care, guess who cares? God cares. The Bible says, ladies, your submission, your respecting your husband is literally an act of worship to Jesus Christ, the one who I hope matters the most in your entire life. If you don't get this, ladies, you're never going to want to submit in a joyful way. Submission is going to be something you do begrudgingly. You're going to very rarely be able to respect your husband because can we be honest, and ladies, don't amen this part. If you didn't amen any others, don't amen this part. It's going to be hard for you to submit if you think it's primarily to your husband because your husband is very imperfect. He is. He is not Jesus Christ. He cannot give you every longing of your heart. He cannot meet every need that you have. He cannot always bat a thousand. He's going to fail you. He's going to make mistakes. And if you are finding your ultimate joy in him, rather than the only perfect man, Jesus Christ, you will never be able to do this. But instead, if you will embrace the reality that Jesus is the only one who can save you, the only one who can satisfy you, and that your submission is worship to him, then and only then can you embrace the role of submission and respect. And I promise you, ladies, then it will be good for your marriage and it will be glorifying to God. Okay? Now, men. Verse 25. What are the roles of men? Husbands, love your wives. Just think about that for a second. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I don't care what is on your calendar this week, men. Your greatest earthly investment is your wife. And there is no higher calling. I don't care what your career is. Okay, so you run a big multi-million dollar company or or you're a pastor, or you're a minister, or you're a coach, or, or you're, you're, you're big up in your... I don't care. 
your highest calling on earth is loving your wife as Christ loves the church. And so, we need to figure out what does that look like, men. So pay attention, men. And I'm preaching this to myself, by the way. I've been having to preach it all week, and it's hurt. So I'm going to invite you into what I've had to work through all week. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. The first thing we see, the way that Christ loves the church, is he loves her with a sacrificial love. In verse 25, it says that he gave himself up for her. Here's what that means, men. For you to love your wife as Christ loves the church means that you're willing to lay down your little preferences and your comforts for her benefit. You're willing to literally give yourself away for her good. This is what it means to be a godly man. And this is something I've been teaching to my son, even from, a, from an early age. I don't know where he started this. Uh, my son's a little over two. And, and about six months ago, he started this deal where he just walks around the house. And my wife can vouch for this. And he'll just go, I'm a man. <laughs> like, it's the, it's, it, was, it was the cutest thing when it first started. Because he'd like grab like, I'm a man. And like, I don't know where he got that at. Like, I, I promise you, I don't do that. And so, um, I do do a lot of weird stuff. That's not one of them. And so, uh, so he's doing this, and it was really cute at first. Like, ah, like, Wyatt, tell everybody you're a man. I'm a man, we'd all laugh. But then it kind of started backfiring on us because anytime we would ask him to do something he didn't want to do, he'd go, no, Daddy, I'm a man, like that. And so uh, one day, um, <clears throat> I mean, he's two, right? And so one day I'm in the house, and I hear my daughter crying in another room, and I walk in, and Wyatt is holding one of her toys. And I'm, I'm not stupid. I've been doing this, you know, long enough now to at least know that what happened is Nora was playing with the toy, and Wyatt came and grabbed it from her. So I look at Wyatt. And I said, did you take this toy from, from Nora? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, okay, Nora, you need to learn to share. But Wyatt, go ahead and give the toy back. And he goes, no, Daddy, I'm a man. And I was like, okay. And so um, I get down on, on one knee, and here's what I told him. Son, listen. Boys take, men give. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to say that to him over and over. But what's funny is I've said it enough now. We were on vacation a couple weeks ago, and Wyatt took something from Nora, and she goes, Wyatt, boys taking men give. And so it's like, <clears throat> and so, uh, like, he's getting it from both angles now. And, and I'm okay with that because, listen, that is so true. A real man is not a man who went into his marriage saying, What can I get out of this? You understand? Your dad probably didn't tell you that, and culture didn't tell you that, but God's telling you that. A man is someone who says, I'm willing to come into this marriage, saying I'm not here primarily to take from my wife, I'm here to give her life. I'm here to pour into her. A man who loves his wife as Christ loves the church is self-sacrificial, he doesn't cut corners, he isn't compromising, and he certainly isn't lazy. When I think about a man of God who's loved his wife, well, I think about my dad. I'm so fortunate to have grown up in a home with a dad who loves his wife well. I think about my dad has worked two jobs his entire life. He's been a pastor and he's worked in a factory. And when I was in eighth grade, he was going through stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. So he's taking like three different kinds of chemo and radiation, but he's working. And I remember he picked me up from school one day. And this one day, as I was thinking about this week, just kind of sums up my dad's life. He picks me up from school. I'm in eighth grade. He says, son, how was school today? I said, uh, it's pretty good. And he looks at me. Here's a man who's battling cancer, working two jobs. And he says, son, you ever have great days? I like, I mean, sometimes, I guess. I don't know. And he's like, well, if you don't, I would encourage you to stop and just count your blessings. Because there's so many things going on around you that I promise you, son, it's a great day. 
And my dad wasn't trying to shame me. It was just my dad was trying to give me some perspective on life, which I always appreciated about him. And then we went home, and I had a baseball game that night. And so he grabs our gloves, and we start playing catch. He starts warming up my arm in his hot, greasy factory clothes. And then he pulls out a, a ball that had a little rope on it, and he starts swinging it around and around and letting me hit that ball. And then he'd get it going, and he'd swing it. But then here's the deal. You know what's crazy? My mom would come home, and he'd drop all that, and immediately he'd go straight to her. He's letting me know, Mom is more important to me than you. Mom is number one in my life. Right? And so he comes and he, he gives mom a hug. I remember he would rub her shoulders. He would help her with cooking if she wanted that. They would sit around a table, all of us together, and we'd eat a meal, and then I'd go play my, my baseball game, and after it was over, my dad never scolded me, never was yelling at me, never telling me. He just always was so encouraging, no matter what happened. And he did all this in the middle of marital counseling with people from the church, in the middle of going to hospitals, in the middle of cancer, and all that kind of stuff. And I remember if I ever tried to cross my mom once, he would look at me, and I mean, in a scary, my brother's here, he could tell you in a scary way, which actually probably never said it to Grant because Grant was much sweeter than me. But <laughs> you probably heard him say it to me at least. He would look, and if I ever said anything to mom that he didn't like at all, he would look at me in the scariest look and tone and said, don't ever talk to my wife that way again. You're not going to talk to my wife that way. He wouldn't say your mom, he would say my wife. My dad was a great example of, I think, a godly man who loved his wife well. Now listen, do you think that was easy for my dad, men? Do you think that was easy, going through stage four cancer, working two jobs? Think it was easy? Absolutely not, but listen, men, carefully. Who wants an easy life? Do you really want an easy life? Like, an easy life is boring. Like the quickest way for us to waste our life is to pursue comfort and ease at all costs. But you want to make your life count for the glory of God, you give yourself away. And you start with doing it in your marriage. This is what Paul is talking about here. And then he goes on, look at verse 25 and 26 again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. They might sanctify her. A godly man is not, and listen, guys, this is going to sting some, but let's just learn to take these shots together, all right? That's part of being a man, all right? Let's not be afraid of this pain. Part of being a godly man is not just being self-sacrificial. It's being a man who takes responsibility for the spiritual climate of your spouse and your home. Some of you guys in here, you have no idea how to pour into your wife spiritually. You've never been discipled and you've never been taught. No more excuses. Get involved in the church. I promise you, you want to pour into your wife, we're going to do the best we can to help equip you to do that. Some of you men, you know what you're called to do, but you don't have anything to give because you're not investing in yourself spiritually. You're not spending any time in the Word. You're not spending any time in prayer. You don't fight your sin. You're not pursuing godliness. You're just kind of shooting from the hip every day, going through the motions. And if that's you this morning, look, guys, I'm not trying to, get, to shame you or guilt you. Some of you guys are thinking, crap, man, like I'm sitting here listening to this. I've wasted 10, 15, 20 years. Okay, maybe you have, but you're alive today and there's breath in your lungs, so let's start today afresh. Someone once asked the question, when's the best time to plant a tree? Someone said 50 years ago. They said, okay, what if we didn't do it then? They said, okay, today. When's the best time to start pursuing this stuff? Today. Don't sit back in shame and guilt and fear. It's what the enemy wants you to do. So here's what I want to encourage you men to do. Start with yourself. Get in God's Word. Open up your Bible and read it. Spend time in prayer. I'm going to encourage you, get connected in a missional community. Step out of the shadows. I've never in my life met a strong Lone Ranger Christian, ever. Maybe they're out there. Maybe it's you. Come introduce yourself to me. I've never met one. 
Step out of the shadows. Get your family into community. Right? Go to restore and help give away some food boxes. Invest in someone other than yourself. Like pour into other people in this community. Come out to Labor Park with us and, and help us cook some hot dogs and play some basketball. And you can help me break up fights, which I had to do last week. And it was awesome up until the family started congregating and like I was trapped in between what I felt like was that, like a Hatfield McCoy experience. And mo- my MC, am I exaggerating that? No. All right? Get involved. Get connected to Christ and community. And yes, there are going to be days where, guess what? You don't feel like doing that. I'm a pastor. Man, listen to me carefully. I don't always feel like reading my Bible and praying. I promise you. There are some days that I read my Bible and I feel like I am reading just words on a page and there's nothing behind it. There are days I pray and I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling. It happens. But if you want to be the man that God's called you to be, you can't let your emotions control you. And you've got to be a man who literally will say, you know what? Yes, I'm tired, but guess what? I don't care. Because Christ is worth it. Therefore, I'm going to reject passivity and I'm going to invest eternally. I'm going to start investing in myself and then I'm going to invest in my wife and my kids and those around me. That's what it means to be the man that God's called us to be, to love our wives as Christ loves the church. And then he finishes up in verse 28 on the heels of everything he just said. And listen to this, men. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one's ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. A man who loves his wife as Christ loves the church is a man who nourishes and cherishes his wife. What, is those, what does those two things mean? To nourish literally means to provide and protect for her. You make sure there's a roof over her head and there's food in her belly. If she loses her job, you're still going to do whatever it takes to make sure you guys stay afloat. To cherish your wife, you know what it means? It literally means to warm your wife. Let me ask you something, ladies. Or ask you actually, men, do you think your wife feels warm around you? Does she feel like that you love her more than anybody else? To cherish your wife means, men, we don't treat our wife like one of the dudes. To cherish your wife means that you love her in such a way that, that if you die before her and she's old and she's sitting in a rocking chair on the front porch, she thinks, man, what a great run we had. Yeah, we made some mistakes and yeah, we suffered but I never doubted that he loved me. You want to love your wife in such a way that when she thinks about you, she's not disappointed, she doesn't feel oppressed, she doesn't feel neglected, but she feels warm because she knows that you love her and cherish her. Guys, I promise you, that's the man every woman's longing for. And that longing doesn't ever go away. Um, When I first started dating Megan, which I think I got a picture of, do I have that up there? It's 11 and a half years ago. That was at a Blindside concert. Anybody in here Blindside fans? Hey, all right, awesome. Let's talk after this is over. Um, and so, as you probably saw in that picture, right, a lot has, a lot, what do you want to see, man? All right, there it is, yeah. Let's take that off. Don't listen to Randy. This isn't his sermon. Um, and so, uh, a lot has changed since those 11 and a half years, and I'm not just talking about my hair, like, that's one of the things, obviously. A lot has changed, but let me tell you something that has not changed. In the heart of my wife is still the same thing that's in the heart of every woman in this room, and it's this. Every wife is wondering, is this man going to love me till the end, no matter what? And am I still, after all these years, still the woman that he dreamed and longed for 
when he said, I do. Every woman has that in her heart. And if some of you men think, we've been married long enough now, I don't have to tell my wife I love her. I'll just say that that's foolish. And I don't know where you heard that from, but it wasn't from Jesus. You're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Has Jesus ever stopped pursuing us and loving us and saying, you got it from here, guys? Absolutely not. He continues to love. He continues to provide. He continues to nurture. He continues to cherish us. So I don't care how long we've been married. There's never a time where we can hit cruise control. Wise husband is a man who realizes that my goal is to continue to pursue and love my wife in such a way that she knows there's nobody else I would rather be with than her. That's our call. And husbands, look right at me. We're about done. Like I know some of you probably feel like you're just taking shot after shot in the gut. But listen, husbands, your wife trusts you so much, she gave you her body. Like, if you're married, your wife sleeps in the same bed with you at night while the doors are locked. <laughs> That's a lot of trust. And the quickest way that you can trample that trust and make her feel insignificant is by ignoring her. When she talks to you, put your phone down. When you get home from work, you don't go to the TV or your little man cave or your shop. You go to your wife. You make sure that she knows that you are thankful for her. You make sure that she knows that she comes before the kids. You make sure that she knows that you are still attracted to her no matter what has happened throughout time. And that you're not fantasizing about any other woman. You don't go look at porn. If you're watching a movie and a naked woman comes on, you turn away. You don't make any sort of remarks about another woman in any way whatsoever that would make her feel like that you would rather be with her, this other woman, than your own wife. Serve your wife. We don't just serve our wife by going and making money. We serve our wives in the home too. Find out ways that we need to serve our wives to help her prosper and flourish. Study your wife. If you know more about the Razorbacks off-season moves than you know about your wife, repent this morning and grow up. If you know more about what happens under the hood of a car than you do what's going on in your wife's heart, repent and grow up. When we become men, we put boyish things behind us. That's what Paul says. You study your wife. You learn how she receives love. You learn her personality. You understand her so that you can give her the love that she is longing for. Listen, men, I get it. This has been a hard message for me to study this week because anytime I do, I feel like I've got to repent because I am not a perfect husband. And my wife will be the first one to tell you. I've got so much to learn from some of you other men in here when it comes to being a godly husband. I know this is not always easy. And ladies, listen, I know from your side, like this is not always easy because we don't give you what you feel you need in return. We don't appreciate you the way that we should. But listen, we're coming to an end. Listen, the reason husbands and wives were called to give ourselves in this way is not because it's promised to be easy. The reason we're to give ourselves in this way is not because we're guaranteed to get the response back that we want. Most times we will not get that response back we were looking for. The reason we're to give ourselves to our spouse in this way is, listen, because this is the way Christ first gave himself to all of us. 
You see, no matter who you are or where you come from this, this morning, no matter what you have done or haven't done, you want to know some good news? Listen to me. Jesus cherishes you. He cherishes you. And you need to hear that because some of you in here, you've been abused, you've been neglected, you have been cut down, and you feel totally devalued this morning. And what you need to know is Jesus Christ, the Lord of creation, who matters the most, absolutely treasures you. He laid down his very life for you. He gave you everything. He knows every skeleton in your closet, and he still was not afraid to make a commitment to you. Isn't that crazy? He doesn't want to hold your past over your head. And even on the days where you fail him, and there will be many days, his love for you does not waver at all. At all. If you have trusted that he is who he says he is, and he has done for you everything he says that he's done, that he has come and he's lived a perfect life you could never live, and he died a death for you that you deserve to die for your sins, and then he rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell. If you believe that today, you can know that he has nothing but affections and love towards you that will never waver at all. And you say, well, how is that possible, Jared? Well, Paul tells us in closing this morning in verse 30, the reason that Jesus loves you with such an intense, unshakable love is because, verse 30 says, when he sees you, listen to this, Christian, he sees you as his own flesh. In verse 29, Paul says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because, look, we are now members of his body. Is that not the craziest thing you've ever heard? If you have given your life to Jesus, you're united with him as one flesh. You know what that means? There is now no division between you. No division whatsoever. He could not identify with you more personally. He could not care for you more intensely. He loves you. He cherishes you with all of his heart. And there is nothing you can do to make him love you any more or any less. He loves you perfectly and completely right now. I wonder how many people in Paragold woke up this morning believing that they're immeasurably loved by Jesus like this. I would say not many. And listen, Fellowship Paragold, that's why we're here. That's why we planted this church. Because people, maybe even some of you here this morning, need to begin to see the gospel is not primarily about rules. It is about a romance. It is about a God who became flesh, who went on the wrong side of the tracks for us. And despite the fact that we had done nothing but sin against him and turn our back on him, he came and laid down his life for you and me so that we could experience the salvation and the satisfaction that we are all longing for. If you have not experienced that today, if you hear that and you're just kind of like, eh, I don't really feel any of that, I've never really experienced that, I pray that changes in this moment. Listen to me carefully. You will never find acceptance in the intimacy that you're longing for in anybody else outside of Jesus. You're not going to find it in your marriage. You're not going to find it in somebody else. You can only find it in Christ. And the good news is today you can have Christ. You don't have to earn Jesus. You don't have to clean yourself up before you can come to Jesus. You don't have to work to get to him. You just need to open your heart to his unconditional, unbreakable love that he has poured out for you through his life, his death, and resurrection. I'm going to ask that you stand with me this morning as our band comes forward and those who are going to be preparing communion. 
We're going to pray and then we're going to sing one more song. This is our opportunity to respond to the work that Jesus is doing in our life through his spirit. Let's pray. Father, I know this is a, a heavy message, but I pray that more than anything else, what we will be reminded of is this work that we feel like is impossible for us to do. You've already done it for us, and you're still doing it through us. I pray that more than anything, that Jesus, that you will be sweeter, that you will be closer, that you will be better in the eyes of each person here than before we came in this room. Help us through your Holy Spirit to believe that you are who you say you are and you have done for us everything that you said you have done through your life, death, and resurrection. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.